The Charles Adler Show starts now. Thanks so much for joining us. This is week one of the uh, podcast. I I know that I'm supposed to have stage fright because it's week one, but when you've been doing uh, something for as long as I have, whether it's called a broadcast or a podcast, uh, there's not really much fear attached. There's much more fear in my life uh, off camera, away from the microphone than on for for some reason. Uh, When when I'm on, maybe it's because when I'm on, I'm generally speaking to my, my friends and when I'm off, I speak to some people who, who don't want to be uh, terribly friendly. Now, one of the, my best friends over the years is also technically my boss. We'll get into that in just a few moments. I don't have a habit of sucking up to my boss. And if anyone uh, catches me doing that, catches me being a bit of a, a Mike Pence, you know, a real a sycophant, a really vile creature uh, that thinks they cannot uh, climb the ladder of success or whatever ladder they're trying to climb without uh, kissing a lot of ass. If, if I come across that way, please let me know. You can always email me, by the way, charles at charlesadler.com. And uh, for the podcast, just tell your friends, go to any podcast platform, whatever they use for their podcast, and they can get the brand new Charles Adler Show podcast. Without further ado, my old friend, fellow professional, okay, uh, he was a, a rock star for many, many years uh, in uh, a, a, a relatively insignificant market, uh, Toronto. <laughs> and so he has, uh, he has been treated very, very well, probably too generously uh, by this business and, and fans of this business. And so that's another thing that uh, he and I have in yeah. common. Dean Blundell, uh, welcome to the new Charles Adler Show. Are you telling me, if you told me last week, I'd be doing a weekend show on the number one podcast in Canada? I'd say you're crazy. And if you told me yeah. it would be with you, I'd say, well, let's sign me up. So I'm just happy to be here uh, on your show being interviewed by you because you know how much less work it is to be a guest <laughs> on a podcast than to actually host one? You know, I think you do, actually. You might know that. Well, I, I, have, I have some sense of it because I've, I've guested on, on a few, including uh, yours and, and some of your friends at uh, Cryer yeah. Media. Uh, help explain, you know, when you talk about a number one podcast, a lot, a lot of people go, wait a minute, wait a minute. Okay. Yeah, he's been he's been number one in a lot of categories yeah. over the years. He's done very well. But wait a minute, this thing is a brand new baby. I mean, it's, it's hardly out of the chute. Mm-hmm. This is only our, our third episode. So how can Apple, uh, which is a fairly credible company, yeah, they're richer than most of the countries in the world combined. Mm-hmm. Um, why would Apple say that the Charles Adler show is number one? Because it's awesome. Number one, I mean, like, you know, the, the content itself is one thing. And, and I'll, I'll break this down real quick so everybody understands it. Uh, there is like a blender of algorithmic math uh, to figure out who's number one in what category. There are different categories on Apple iTunes. Uh, there's Chartable, which is owned by Spotify. There are a bunch of different categories. And let me just say this. I am not a chart watcher. I'm not one of those guys. It's like, we got to get to this point. We got to be. But they actually matter in terms of visibility and, you know, client relations and all that other stuff. So the Charles Adler podcast, which uh, your namesake, 50 years of broadcasting, enormous name recognition. Uh, I'm no dummy. We come to you and I'm like, hey, dude, you want to work with us? And you're like, uh, well, let's see. Let me have a couple conversations with you first. So I'm like, OK, so I'm on my best behavior. Let's just get to the beginning of this and then we'll get to why you're number one uh and i knew i knew like if we can just get charles adler if we can get his voice if we can get his common sense his humanity and the way that he breaks things down for people not for parties i think we're going to have a chance to make some sense to people because crier media is predicated on some accountable humorous content no gaslighting we don't do anything for any political parties we don't have any biases when it comes to that other than humanity and kindness good character those things 
And so when we bring you in, we all knew, like everybody here knew, we knew, like, if we can just launch Adler, I mean, my God, this is just, it's like a sponge. It's just you know, content people want to hear, right? They want to hear about who's doing what, what the intentions are, and the truth, by and large, which is what you do. You tell the truth. Um, and so when we bring you on, do a little branding. Really excited to launch your podcast. It launches. This is the third episode. Your first two came out. First with Ryan Jesperson, which was tremendous, by the way. Uh, and and he's got name recognition as well as a big podcast. So that factored into it because you're, you're borrowing into audience, which is a technical term for being able to kite off people's content. Uh, so that mattered. But more people downloaded your podcast at a faster rate this week and listened longer than any other podcast in the news category in this country. You beat Megyn Kelly, you beat the Daily Wire, uh, you beat the Daily News. Like every single podcast that gets pumped into Canada, uh, and none were in the top ten. You were the only Canadian podcast legitimately in the top ten. And that that is about pace. That's about how many people downloaded unique views. But really, it's just about how good your podcast is and the fact that you're needed in this space. So uh, a bunch of different factors go into it. You're awesome. That's the biggest factor, Charles. <laughs> I appreciate it. I wasn't fishing for compliments. I, I just wanted an explanation. Yeah. And here's something I don't understand. I'm, 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 some of these questions I'm asking are questions that have been forwarded to me by mostly uh, Canadians, some some Americans, uh, and, and they're in a quandary about this this list that they've, they've mm-hmm. seen. I'm the only Canadian on the list. It's nice to be number one. But why is it that the rest of the list of people who supposedly are subscribing to podcasts in uh-huh. Canada, this is according to Apple, why is it that the rest of the list is, is all American? They, they've all got talent. I don't want to get into you know what, what their politics are. Who, who cares for the purpose of this question? Why am I the only Canadian in the top Great 10? question. Um, and uh, I'll just read the list to you. We'll go from seven down to one. You're number one, uh, Apple Podcast Canada news category. Michael Knowles from the Daily Wire, hard right. Uh, Kara Swisher, Vox Media. She's an incredible superstar when it comes to communicating. Uh, you know who Kara is. She's incredible. Uh, she's got number six with Vox Media on with Kara Swisher. Then Pivot is number five. That's New York Magazine's with Kara Swisher. So she's five and six. Uh, and then incredible douchebag Matt Walsh, number four. Um, this is the not just hard right, but a Christian nationalist who uh, believes in uh, you know the kettling of women's rights, et cetera, et cetera. He's number four. Uh, Sweet Bobby, never heard of it. Number three, Megan Kelly show from SiriusXM. She's number two, and you usurped her, not even on the list last week, uh, as the number one podcast in Canada. And the reason why you see those American podcasts in your space is because those companies actually come with a branding exercise. Now, the branding exercise in podcasting is either legitimate or it is illegitimate. Because we are your partner at Cryer Media and we know what went into the Charles Adler podcast, there was no targeted purchase of any advertising or any clickbait. Uh, you know, we didn't hire any firms overseas to pump downloads into a country so that we could make more money off your CPM and off of advertisers, which is what a lot of different American companies do with their podcasts, is they will inflate how many people download their podcasts by paying services to go and give them their called phantom listens. Um, now, the Charles Adler podcast had no phantom listens last week. It was all incredibly legitimate stuff. It was people who needed to listen to you, people who knew you launched a podcast, people who wanted to check out uh, your conversation with Sandy Garasino yesterday or a couple of days ago, which was incredible about Bill C-18, wanted to hear you talk about the launch of your podcast after an Emmy Award-winning 50-year career in the broadcast industry, making that transition into this industry. So 
you know, there's a lot of intangibles about why Charles Adler was doing a podcast as well. So you've got public interest and you've got real organic support of the network, meaning the entire network, about 130 podcasts at crier.co, uh, took time to support this. You know, we took time to actually tell people where they could download it instead of hiring someone to do fake downloads. And that's generally what you see when American podcasts are number one in different countries that are not in North America. And they do that so that they can cheat, make a little bit more money and get on top of a chart so that they can go and sell ego, uh, which is really what this business <laughs> is, to be honest with so, you. So the, so without uh, without getting into the bowels of the yeah. law, uh, is there any, I mean, it, it, you know, what you're talking about, maybe on the margins, you use the word cheat. Is there anything illegal about uh, these American uh, podcasters uh, purchasing what you're calling phantom no. listens? No, strangely enough, there isn't. It's not because there are no rules when it comes to how and why people listen. And so, you know, getting this podcast in front of people, it's almost like taking a test drive of a vehicle, right? Like you can pay people to test drive vehicles and say, here's how many people test drove these vehicles. Well, if you pay people to do it, a lot of people are going to do it, right? And then you can then go out and say and paint this story, which is really the what social media is all about. It's about presenting a perception that something is bigger than it is, right? And where do we see that come from all the time? Like what side of the ledger, right or left, where do you see the idea germinate that if we give people the perception that something is bigger than it is, that it is number two or number three or worldwide charts on every chart, then we will make more money. We will garner more influence. And keep in mind, these alt-right or hard-right podcasts that seem to do well in different countries have a very captive audience of crazy, right? Like, we know that. Okay, so I'm thinking about uh, Kara Swisher. By the way, I don't want to uh, you know, make this sound like a command, but um, I'm asking. Yeah. But I'm also asserting uh, I want uh, Kara on the show. Uh, so whatever you know, yeah. Whatever, whatever, whatever you have to do. I, I, I don't, I don't, I don't need details. I want plausible deniability. Yeah. We just, we just, you know, Kara, when Kara comes on the yeah. show, I want people to think that it was, it was volitional and voluntary. No coercion was involved. Okay. Yeah. Got it. All right, so just yeah, that she she wants to be here, just like everyone else, just like Ryan wanted to be here, yeah. and Sandy wanted That's to right. be here. You want I to do. be here, Kara Swisher, and I bring her up because you know she's doing really well. She's got two of her podcasts are are in the yeah. top ten. Okay, so naturally I'm honored to be in the same. Well, you're company. number one now. She is she's hard. only five and six. She's number uh, one. Just so you know. okay, well, I can yeah, appreciate yeah. that. But you know, some weeks it'll be one, and some weeks it'll be a, a different yep. number. I don't want to. I don't want to take this stuff for granted. I'm very grateful, but I don't want to take anything for granted. Swisher is not hard right. I would find it really hard to believe that Swisher's people have to manipulate, uh, buy phantom listeners, whatever, because she is really, really strong. Yeah, no, they don't. Uh, Kara Swisher's legitimate. Uh, that is a legitimate podcast that has legitimate downloads, legitimate lists, and she is a legitimate star, a popularizer of information. And I think you'll find that with the legitimate podcasts that chart or do well or get authentic numbers, meaning that real people are listening to them, they're not being paid to do it, is the, the ones that you see, so of the top seven, you know, it's yourself and Kara Swisher. That's it. You've got um, several that are not. And so when we see the, you know, these algorithms take over, and we can kind of break that down, and we won't have like a full accounting of how many people downloaded your podcast till the end of the week, uh, but it is like trending, right? In and the, the amount of effort that goes into promoting in any capacity these podcasts 
That's one thing. And so she does one podcast with New York Magazine. That's huge. She does another podcast with Vox Media. That's huge. So she's got the power of the network to be able to share that stuff into mailing lists of millions and millions of people, right? And so Canada, by and large, is a proxy news state of the United States. And so you will see some legitimate ones in here as well mixed in. Um, but, but I know the people, <laughs> I know the people that are doing work for like the Joe Rogans, the Megan Kelly's, the daily wires. I know them. And so that's how I know it is illegitimate. All right. Uh, Dean, I want to turn this on you because you are the guest. So I want to treat you like the guest and it doesn't matter what kind of a business relationship we have. And I, I called you the boss earlier. Mm-hmm. I don't think I've ever called you the boss um, off no. camera, does, does does that word that that B word? Because I know how you feel about um, some of some of your ex bosses. Um, do I make you feel uncomfortable <laughs> when I call you? The- no, man. No, I mean, okay. you know what? Right. Like that's I don't. I'm uncomfortable with that whole idea. To be honest with you, it's and okay. it's weird. We're partners. Yeah, we are um, We're partners. But yeah. it's weird because you know when we started Crier, which started as kind of our namesake. Uh, DeanBlundell.com, which I was very uncomfortable with for a long period of time. Um, when when we started it, it was supposed to be, you know, a revenge play, right? <laughs> like that, it was like my way of sticking it to everybody, my way of trying to figure out. And, and and keep in mind, I'm I'm that guy that has absolutely no transferable skills, so I didn't even know how I was going to do it. It was like. Man, I'm just going to do a podcast, see how it goes. I'm going to write some stuff. And you collect people along the way, and then you collect a business plan along the way. But it was always, it started to change. It was always about, you know, for the first two years when we were DeanBlundell.com, it was always about me, you know. And I slowly, as I progressed in life, slowly became incredibly uncomfortable with that. Um, And I became uncomfortable with it because, you know, I knew that I needed help. You know, I knew that I'd just surround myself with people who were better than me at this, people who had answers in areas that I didn't. And so the hubris kind of slowly drifted away and I started to realize, hey, you know, you can think you're cool. You can think you're like a world beating talent. But this is a very, very different space than I was very impressed when you when you contacted me. I said to myself, Dean has grown up. I mean, he needs he needs help. He's now admitting he needs yeah. help. He's calling me. Good. I mean, I was beyond you know being satisfied that you know someone uh, who's very serious, who's got serious backing, uh, wants to you know put me on and and, and market mm-hmm. me and do all those those business things. I was just on a on a personal mm-hmm. level. I was just very impressed that you had evolved to the point where you were admitting that you needed me. Well, I did. Um, and it wasn't like I'm not. I'm not. I'm no idiot. Um, you know, I know, I know what I'm capable of. I know what I'm not. I know what legitimate is. I know what illegitimacy is. And you are legitimate, you know, um, much more so than I am in the space that we needed to be able to be successful in. Right. You know, I have a different way of doing things than you when it comes to content. You're cultured, you're academic, you're intelligent, but you also have a very serious history in and around the subjects you talk about 50 years in broadcasting. Uh, you know, working as a communicator in political circles, understanding really where almost all the bodies are buried. So like I as much as I knew where my shortcomings were, I also knew, you know, in your case that you were it. You were this outstanding um, talent that we needed to help kind of breathe life back into this ecosystem of media in this country, which we talk about 
at length, you and I, right? We talk about the mediocrity. We talk about the lack of courage. We talk about, you know, the collusive nature of political and media relationships. We talk about uh, not getting the full story. We talk about how no one seems to care about the human beings who are kettled by misinformation and disinformation. And so, you know, after watching you for the last year, I'm like, we need to get into the business of being in business with Charles Adler. That is what we need. And we also realized that there was going to be a really incredible opportunity to drive not just clicks, but, you know, to come out of the gate. And we knew it would be successful, but we didn't know it would be as successful as it was in the first week. Um, and we're super grateful for it. But that's how I think people should do business. They should surround themselves with people who are better than them at what they do. And that's what we did with you. And that's what we continue to do in the back end as well. Was the business too good to you? Uh, you became fabulously uh, wealthy and successful um, when you uh, hit Toronto, which is for all intents and purposes your your, your hometown. Uh, yeah. You were called a shock jock by people who don't really understand the business. Uh, you drove share like crazy. I don't want to get too much into jargon here, but uh, I think you had, what, a 40 share at one yeah. point of, of, of guys 18 to 34 in your, your morning rock mm -hmm. show in mm -hmm. Toronto? Yeah. Okay. So that, that, that's huge. That means 40% of all guys between the 18 and 34, and that's a very, very uh, important demographic, folks, when you're a rock, rock, rock channel, which is what uh, the edge was. It was the hard rock uh, station in Toronto, and you've got 40% of the audience in, in early morning, most important slot, breakfast. Dean was driving it, so naturally Dean got treated like royalty. Uh, he was the king of rock radio in, in Toronto, not just for one season or two seasons, but for many years. And he was given what was the what was the uh, largest uh, long term commitment uh, that you got uh, as as a rock uh, job? Ten years, yeah, ten year contract. Okay, so so no, almost uh, folks, just take take my word for this. You can take this to the bank. Almost nobody gets a ten year contract. Do you know of anyone else in in Toronto, which is the largest for people listening around the world? It's the largest market in. In Canada, it's so large that if you had to compare it to the United States, it's like Chicago, Los Angeles, Houston, and New York combined in terms of uh, the significance of the Toronto population compared to the rest of Canada. We have a very small country. We've got only 40 million people in the country, and we've got a, a market of well over 6 million in the greater Toronto area. So it's just it's just mammoth. Uh, do you know of anyone who has ever gotten a 10-year commitment in this business? Um, one other person, uh, and that 10-year commitment ended after, I think, two years. Um, and, uh, and I think that that was, uh, you know, and I won't say the person's name because it doesn't matter. But, yeah, one other person. Um, and it, you know what, it, it, I was lucky. Like, I mean, if we want to back channel into that conversation, which I'm always happy to talk about, obviously, uh, which is part of my life, right? It was a huge portion of my life. And that portion of my life was very, very successful by, you know, radio standards is, you know, from 2001 to, I don't know, 2014, 2015, um, we had the biggest rock radio show in the country by far. I mean, we had, a, as you point out, a 40 share, just over 40 share, where 40% of people in a certain age group are listening to you every single morning for an hour to two hours. And, and you know, take the content for what it was. I was a hard-driving, very focused uh, driver of content. They paid me a lot of money to do it uh, year after year for 15 years. And so... You know, when you kind of fast forward through a 15-year career and in a, in a summarizing a conversation like that, um, you know, you, you have to look at, at least I do, and I'd be interested to get your thoughts, 
Uh, you have to look at it like all of these things were these stepping stones and building blocks into a space, not your identity. Um, you know, and, and for a long time, radio was my identity. It was, it was the idea that I had created this personality that could do and say anything outside of how I really felt about what I should be doing. You know, I, I felt like it was, in, and I've said this before in a couple podcasts, is when you start in radio, and I think it takes a special person to be successful uh, in that industry. It takes you putting away, you know, any issues you have for a four-hour time slot in the hardest driving market in Canada, the third hardest driving radio market in North America, and one of the biggest in the world, most competitive in the world. To have 15 years in one time slot where you are number one for you know, a good 10 to 12 to 13 years of those 14 to 15 years. Um, it, and you know this, right? Because you've been the successful and then some on a national level. It requires all kinds of um, courage. It requires all kinds of selfishness. It requires you to shut out family. It requires you to shut out certain responsibility. It requires you to uh, push away any ideas or any any lack of confidence you might have in the morning or when you're hungover. It requires this incredible focus to be able to perform on a daily level to that extent. And um, I would say by year 13, I was burnt out. I would say by year 13, I had had enough. I had developed this incredible drinking problem. I had developed this incredible self-centered universe, center of the universe issue. Um, I didn't really know what I was here for anymore. And that was probably 2013, I would say, you know, where you, you, you sit back and you look at your bank account, which is ripe. You look at your success, which is external. Um, and, you know, by all accounts in 2013, 2014, I should have been the happiest guy in the world because I had achieved everything I wanted. I had made millions of dollars. I had become the biggest, you know, radio guy in the country. Uh, I, in, in that, in that, in that discipline, I had achieved, um, autonomy working for a company that would let me really do anything, which was the worst fucking thing in the world for me in some capacity. So, so Dean, here, here, here's where, you know, this is kind of what I do and what I'm known for. I do stay in touch with the common folks Mm -hmm. for whatever reason, um, you know, I have no idea why, but I, I, I managed to stay in touch. And it's really, really important for me to do that, for me to be able to ask the kinds of questions that the folks are asking. And they're asking, many of them are, I'm kind of just channeling this, why should we feel sorry for a guy who was making millions of dollars, could do whatever he wanted, basically was being paid to have fun, and then he got some, you know, developed some some addiction problems like a lot of superstars have and a lot of non-superstars have um you made more money in 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 a couple of years uh than most people do in a lifetime why should we feel badly for dean blondell and why is he why is he being a victim on the screen right now (laughs) oh man you're touching on um my my recent life's work um it's an interesting question the world is full of victims right And when I decided that I needed to learn how to live a proper life, when I decided that happiness was more important to me than influence or money or things, that internal gratification was the way that I was going to be happy, not external gratification, I realized that no one 
feel sorry for someone who's just striving to live like a normal life, right? I deserve zero credit for that. I deserve zero credit for that because I did not live a normal life. And and I say that it's funny because I talk to my kids about it quite a bit. Um, you know, I had one son that that really struggled with addiction from the ages of 14 to 19. And we almost lost him a couple of times. And, um, you know, he, he, they, all my kids, obviously, since, you know, I decided to put the childish shit away and, and invest in myself and try to learn how, what happiness is about and how to be happy as an individual, be happy as an indiv- as a human being. Um, it's affected my kids, you know, in a positive way. And so their lives have been affected by that, by, you know, the philosophy that I live by, by the values that I hold to be very true of courage, wisdom, temperance, and justice. Those are like just the cornerstones of what I want to be on a daily basis. Um, and I don't ask for, nor do I want anybody to feel sorry for me because there's nothing to feel sorry about. Like, you know, it's just my effort to get back to normal, my effort to enjoy my life. And that's for me. You know, I, I, I share the stories of, you know, having so much, not having enough and then having something and having that something be more important to me than anything because of the work that it took me to get here. That's for me. Uh, I don't paint myself as a victim when I talk about addiction or when I talk about the tools I didn't have, being given all kinds of money at an early age or a young age to go out and throw money at problems so I didn't have to get better at life, right? Um, you know, and I and I really believe that everybody's got a different rock bottom, Chuck. Uh, you know, and I, I don't know if I have experienced that. I don't know if I've gone through that. But if I have, I love it. You know, if that was it, I'm so grateful for it because... My God, we're put here to do the work of life. We're not here to put here to manipulate people into taking our side and painting ourselves as a victim so we can get attention. That doesn't help me. Hi, I'm Joel McLeod, co-host of the 905er podcast. The 905 is one of the most diverse and densely populated regions of Canada. Four and a half million of us live, work, and play in the area surrounding Toronto. That's more people in the 905 than actually live in Toronto. Each election, the 905 decides who forms our government at both the provincial and federal levels. So why isn't more attention being focused on us here in the 905? We're looking to change that. My co-host, Roland Tanner, and I Tell the stories that define what we are calling the most important region in Canada. Each week, we bring to your attention news, culture, and issues that make up what it means to be a 905er. You can find us on Apple, Spotify, or anywhere else you listen to your podcasts. Or you can visit us at 905er.ca to subscribe. So I've been based in, in Toronto, uh, you know, four, four different mm-hmm. times. Uh, it, it was for, bi- for business reasons, it made sense uh, to go. Uh, for personal reasons, just comfort, uh, being spoiled, uh, privileged uh, by, by listeners in Canada, the United States, listeners, viewers, readers, I can live wherever mm-hmm. I want. And so I would, I would go back and forth. And you but, haven't picked uh, Saskatchewan I'd always, yet, huh? That's weird. <laughs> I haven't been ba- we do well in Saskatchewan, but I haven't been based in, in Saskatchewan, but I've been based in all other parts of the country yeah. except uh, Atlantic Canada and Saskatchewan and everywhere else, and, of course, uh, many, many American centers. 
But the thing is uh, that uh, Toronto always had, and I'll just admit it because uh, Dean's being brutally honest here, and, and I own the same honesty. Uh, um, Toronto always uh, rolled out the um, the welcome mm-hmm. wagon and the way that businesses roll out the welcome wagon, and so they lured me back uh, several times, and I uh, I took the bait. I'm not complaining about it. Uh, the the business in Toronto treated me very well, and the audience is there uh, the mm-hmm. same. When I first heard you, it was, I don't know, about 15 years ago, I guess. And this is just my professional ear. My professional ear told me that this guy is one of the most creative guys in the business. Uh, he can do, be, he, yeah, he's doing rock radio. He could be doing rock. Uh, he could be doing country. Uh, he can uh, be doing talk, uh, radio, television. It, it doesn't matter. You're just someone who had all the juice, checked off all the boxes, and you connected like very, very few people do. And I remember 15 years ago, I said to myself, unless this guy develops a serious ego problem or an addiction problem, he is set. And uh, I, there you go. I, I don't enjoy being I don't enjoy being right 99 percent of the time. <laughs> but just I just I, I saw I saw this train coming. Yeah. You know, I, I saw the train. Did, huh? Yeah. Um, it's so familiar to so many people in that industry of radio or, or yeah. mainstream media. Yeah. Right? You know, is it, yeah, no, you were you were just you were so wired. Yeah. And I just said to myself, if he manages to stay in touch with reality, being as wired as he is mm-hmm. for four hours a day, just all kinds of stuff is coming at him and you're just hitting everything out of the park, out of the park, out of the park. I just know. That in this business, when you when you're doing that, many people come into your life who love you to bits. Other people come into your life, uh, you know, just to use you, and 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 some of them will, will give you things, uh, you know, that are not good for your nose or your lungs or your head. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, you're getting free meals and free drinks, and it's a party every day. And uh, before you know it, you're Dean Blundell. Yeah. yeah, and you're lost. Yeah, I mean that that is the formula. Uh, you just described the formula that that can kill or make someone a million times better that that works in and has some success in the industry of traditional media or as we knew it. Right. Um, there's a lot of cautionary tales that scared me, to be honest with you. Um, and and it's funny because I didn't pay attention to them when I was in the industry. And you're doing that job going a thousand miles an hour with your hair on fire. Um, you know, and, and, and I, and you and I know some of these people that, you know, once they left media, they didn't have the tools to deal with real life. Cause that is not real life. Charles, you and I both know that like Jesus Christ, dude, I used to go in at three o'clock in the morning. I'd get up at three, wake, go, go to work at three 30. I'd walk into the studio, park in a special parking spot next to the elevator, take the elevator up into the studio. I'd walk into the studio. There would be a pot of coffee, my favorite creamer, uh, a paid for breakfast. The seat would be ready. Everything would be wiped down. And I would walk into that seat and someone would go get my car when I was done or they'd park it when I got there. It didn't matter. The entitlement and what it doesn't teach you as a young radio or media person and the ego that you that is created in this special air and i remember thinking and it's funny that we're talking about this because i thought about this yesterday i remember thinking i shouldn't have to do pedestrian things anymore because i'm me (laughs) seriously that is seriously what i thought i and and this is how poisoned my mind was with my ego it's like i should be able to watch any television show i want anytime i want in my own house and everybody should be able to take off like that's 
and then uh, the, I, I transferred that worldview of my universally important self into every area of my life. I should be able to drink at least a bottle of vodka tonight because I'm me and I'm special and nothing's ever going to hurt me or kill me. And I was like, oh, okay, yeah, that's that's good. I should be able to chase this bottle of vodka with two cans of ravioli right out of the can because I'm awesome. You know, it's like every discipline in your life disappears when you become an egomaniacal alcoholic. It just is just true. All right, so I just need some numbers here. Yeah. Um, I'm so I'm so glad that you're loose enough, Bill, because I'll tell you, over the years I've done you know many interviews, conversations. Um, I think of all interviews as a conversation. If it if it starts to feel in my brain like an interview, yeah. I, I just kind of I want to bail and, and go do something else. So I've had many conversations with with people who are you know, have rehabbed themselves, alcohol, drugs, sex, uh, gambling. It, it doesn't matter. Just rehab people, and some of them become preachers. Okay, some of them, you know, you'd think they had just started a new religion. And I just I I have a hard time, uh, you know, staying awake for it. I never have a hard time staying awake uh, for your stories because for some reason you don't go there. Here's the question. What prevents you from being a sanctimonious, self-righteous dullard? (laughs) One of those guys. That's what I call those guys. (laughs) I don't need to mention names. Everyone listening or watching right now knows exactly what I'm talking about because most people have one in the family, right? Uh, They have a guy who went out of control, guy, woman, whatever. I don't want to get into a whole gender thing, but someone in their lives who got out of control and then went to AA or NA or GA or one of the A's. And uh, before you know it, uh, they're sounding like the second coming of a Sunday morning Bible thumper. And so people are going... Yeah, mom, dad, uh, brother, sister, aunt, cousin, whatever, you know, Lucy, schmoozy. I'm really glad you got help. But please, please, it's not a religion. So what prevented you from becoming pastor blundell uh, sanctimonious asshole is that what you're asking um <laughs> well it's just it, it I'm, I'm i'm not saying that that is worse for a person uh than uh, you know drinking his face off or or you know snorting cocaine all day uh but i'm just saying that i'm, I'm thinking about the other people mm-hmm. in your life uh people get messed up when you get too messed up but people also get a little a little messed up when when, when daddy becomes a minister yeah. <laughs> way worse actually you, you get way more messed up when your dad switches his entire life-changing ideology midstream um so what, what's what stopped you from becoming that way because certainly you've got the creative tools the vocabulary and, and all the rest of it to become one of these people who can for some people become a very inspirational minister of rehab Man, you know what? It, that's a great... Oh, fuck, you ask great questions. You're good at this. It's why you have an Emmy, probably. Um, I, I, I focus on not being that guy. Like, you, you ever run into someone who just started juicing? Like, hey, listen, I don't know about you, you eating that burger right there. I've been juicing for <laughs> two days, and I feel incredible. You should really juice. And you're like, dude, you've been doing it for two days, right? Like, fuck, relax. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, can I sell you? Can I sell you a cleanse? It's for for ninety nine ninety nine. I can clean out all the bad. Sh- oh yeah, dude. Yeah, we'll put coffee in a tube. We'll shoot it up there, and it'll come out, and you'll feel like a million bucks. No, I'm I'm good. Same thing with naturopathy. Like, no, take nothing away from people in their medical journey. It's like, right. hey, listen, uh, I I I don't I don't buy into that, and the reason why. I don't, you know, hey, I'm, you should really go see my naturopath. She's not a real doctor. I'm like, yeah, I'm not, not going to do that. Um, 
I focus on one thing when it comes to, you know, not disseminating the changes in my perception, which really changed my life, because that's really the only thing that's changed, right? You can't run around and go, hey, everybody, you should adopt my perception because it's way better. My perception isn't for everybody, right? My perception is this, is that I'm here to respond well to life. I'm here to be of, of, of good character and acts for the common good in bragging about the happiness I've found or this new way that everybody should live, because I don't believe everybody should live the way I live. I really don't. I'm what you would call a practicing Stoic, so I embrace philosophy. I embrace the philosophy of Stoicism and the, the teachings of Epictetus and uh, Seneca and, uh, you know, Viktor Frankl and logotherapy. Like, I really dove into, which is, you know, a part of that journey that I haven't talked about, uh, educating myself, talking to the dead about how they looked at life, looking for a better perception, you know. And one of the things that I got out of it was, and this is life-changing for me, is that, you know, we don't have a problem with things we have a problem with the value we place on things. And it changed my mind reading that one line from Epictetus, which was repeated by Marcus Aurelius and Seneca over the years and every great philosopher. It's a bumper sticker now. You know, it's, it's cognitive and behavioral therapy. That one quote is we don't have a problem with things. We have a problem with our perception of things. And so my perception is someone who runs around telling everybody, this is how I live. It's the best. You're living wrong. I'm living right. And the way that I see that play out on social media and in lives and relationships, and we all have those in the last three years, we've been inundated. We've been deluged. I'm looking at my Twitter feed right now, which is not for the fame of heart, Charles. Deluged with people telling me what liberal supporters mean, what conservative supporters mean, who means really what, what people know and what they don't know. And not only do I find it disingenuous, I find it's the exercise of the low IQ, right? It is what, what a dumb person does when they have no other information other than this little nugget that they live their life by. And where that exists is in the religious community. Where it doesn't exist it is in the minds and the actions of people who are balanced and centered because I'm fine. Like, I know what I'm all about. So I don't need to run around evangelizing how dumb people are and they need to read a book, even, the, even though I do. You know, I, I evangelize that, hey, we're in this situation specifically that where we look at people from the right and the left arguing over who did. Did you see this yesterday with Pierre Polyev and Justin Trudeau, just as an example? Who did the Calgary Stampede better? Who meant it more than Pierre Polyev or Justin Trudeau? That's the big argument today, where you're pitting a conservative against a liberal. And so what right. they do then is they weaponize those things and they tell people, you're a liberal, so the fact that you're making fun of Pierre Polyev strangely wearing makeup yesterday at a fucking rodeo um, is not a legitimate concern. And I'm like, actually, it is. I think it's quite funny that he wore makeup to a rodeo. Well, I was, I was, I was, I was watching the makeup, and pardon me, folks. I mean, I don't want to, uh, you know, on, on one hand, I do whatever I can to uh, stay as in touch with reality and the common person. And, and, and I'm, I'm glad that I keep, being, I keep getting this feedback saying that I, I haven't lost it over all these not years. I can still stay in touch with reality. Okay, so that's great. I'm very grateful. I don't know where that comes from, but 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 thank you. But 
I, I have to ask a question that is maybe not the kind of question that the common person would ask because I'm a professional and I've done lots of TV just as Dean has. And so I have worn lots of makeup. Yes. At first, the idea of wearing makeup was, was totally repulsive to me, but I, I got used to it. It was no different than, you know, putting pants on. I got to put makeup on if I'm going to go under a hot lamp. Yeah. Okay. So Pierre Polyev, the Conservative Party of Canada, yeah. They can afford a professional makeup artist. They can afford professional makeup. So he's at the Stampede yesterday, Polyev. Yeah. And it looked like whatever was on his face was coming out of a horse. I mean, it, that, was that not a, the most horseshit makeup job you've ever seen? You're not supposed to be able to see makeup from a thousand yards away. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, what Can they not have... I mean, seriously, <laughs> it was so bad because uh, he he's really Pierre Polyev is really trying to change his is uh, he's trying to change his like the idea that he's not a nerd and he's still a nerd. Uh, but it's like all it is is like a nerd trying to do not nerdy things. And yesterday's not nerdy thing was wearing makeup to a, a rodeo, which is fine. You can wear makeup anytime you want, anywhere you want. But as you point out, the pedestrian nature of the party that had enough money to pay for a convoy didn't have enough money to actually pay for like a makeup artist to put real makeup on him and advise him not to wear a white shirt with it because the makeup will rub off and create a massive <laughs> ring around your collar and everybody will make fun of you the next day for wearing way too much much makeup to a rodeo. <laughs> And, and, and I, I don't know. I don't know if it's just just us or, or whether it's everybody. And I don't want to get into this whole business about who's part of the base and who's not part of the base. No. I, I do want to see everyone as, as an equal. Otherwise, I, I lose my mind. So when 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 people do see each other as just equals, when they see a person who's going out of his way to look more trustworthy, get the get the grease, the, the product out of his hair, uh, you know, get rid of the glasses. I, I guess he's using contact lenses right now. And then, and then put makeup on and, and, and different clothes. When someone is trying hard, you say not to be a nerd, when someone's trying, to be, trying hard to be cool, doesn't the average person see that as extremely uncool? Like if I'm noticing this stuff, okay, mm -hmm. then there's something wrong. You know, when, when, when a person is cool, Everyone around them thinks that everything about them is absolutely natural, absolutely authentic. This guy looks like someone impersonating somebody. I don't know yeah. who he's trying to impersonate right now. He just wants to be someone other than who he is. So when you're not comfortable in your own skin and you're making that obvious, there are a lot of things that average people think of, but leader is not one of them. I mean, I'm not, I'm not going to follow some guy who isn't comfortable in his own skin. Am I missing anything? You, when you follow leadership or the people that you respect, let's just let's just play this one out because it's a great question and it touches on perception, right? Which is we have a perception war going on. If people can convince other people that someone is something when they're not, that's the goal, right? That's the entire goal with, with media. That's the entire goal with politicians and media. That's the goal. Let's show people only part of this that we want them to see that might, you know, create some type of a network effect or people might like us more. And they do that because they know why people don't. So there's let's just put that on the shelf. This is my opinion, by the way, <clears throat> is the perception war that we see fought today has everything to do with trying to tell somebody that that what the other person wants for them is terrible and what what they want for that person is better for them 
right? It's a, it's about affirmation. It's about confirmation. It is never about, you know, just tell me what it is that you propose. Give me the good. Give me the bad. If there's a way that a guy like Pierre Polyev, who is not only unlikable, he's a terrible fucking human being, like an awful human being. If there's a way for him to hide how awful of a human being he is, he will spend all the money on that. Right. And that is not just disingenuous. I have no respect for it. I have zero respect for it because of the values that I live my life by. It's a game. You know, and if you can't play this game in media today, this is why media fails. This is why no one likes politicians. This is why the bloom is off the political rose. And you you know this better than most after 50 years in media, working in politics, working with politicians on communicating and messaging. These are not the same quality individuals that you and I knew growing up. These are not the same people with master's degrees. These are people who will play that game, right? Now, what we also have is a real vacuum where nobody's willing to talk about these things. Nobody's willing to out these people as people that are not serious about doing the business of this country, not serious in media about telling us about the business of this country. And so I don't have any respect. Like, I have no respect for mainstream media or traditional media. I have no respect for the relationships that they have with our political masters. And I have less respect for any politician that uses media perception video to tell someone else that what they're seeing and what they're hearing isn't real. That's almost elder abuse. Do you know what I mean? Like it it really is. (laughs) All right, Dean, I'm always conscious of the fact that the people who are uh, listening, watching, who um, aren't particularly, um, you know, enamored of, of politics yeah. and or media for that that matter. And so some statements uh, get made and I'd like to, you know, sort of have some of them backed up. When you, when you describe Pierre Polyev as essentially a, an evil human being, yeah. just give me one or two quick uh, examples of what makes you draw that conclusion because once again for a lot of people they don't really pay attention and to to them you know the statement i always hear from from folks is they're all the same they're all the same so what is it that makes this one so different and in your mind uh such a bad guy skinny trump just as a human being skinny trump i mean i haven't heard a single thing come out of his mouth that's proactive nothing Everything that he talks about is based on fear. Everything he's talked about is based on telling old stock Canadians to be afraid because someone's coming for them. Someone's coming for their land. Uh, Where it matters in key issues like abortion, indigenous people, indigenous rights, reparations, he's not only invisible, he's hiding his real truth. And his real truth is, is that he just wants to give every single conservative in this country old stock Canadian, and you know this as well as I do, you know, the idea that he's going to make sure that their privilege is not it remains intact if he's the pre, if he's the prime minister. Right. That's why he fights against wokeism. How about that? How about taking the word woke and weaponizing it, turning it into a pejorative? We all know what the word means. It means to be actively and keenly aware of social and racial inequality. That's what it means. And somehow he's had the ability to not only weaponize it, but make it a pejorative. So anybody who says, hey, I like to be well aware and actively aware of racial and and, and these are all dog whistles. You know that and I know that. 
Um, and and uh, the Magna Carta, bringing up the Magna Carta, uh, <laughs> rubbing wood, not having a message, not having any answers, <laughs> just literally gaslighting pure well, hatred and okay, fear well, to the dumbest well, people in this country. So that's why he's what was the What was the, pardon me for yeah. not taking some of this stuff uh, uh, too too seriously. Wood, but the the wood thing when he when he did the when he did that digital that that, that video yeah. thing on the wood where he's talking to the wood and he's he's fondling the wood. I I thought he was about to make love to the wood. I mean, it just like you know. I mean, seriously. I mean, it was it was it was wood porn. Yeah. Uh, what what was that? What was that about? What, I mean, what was the what was the point of the 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 constant rubbing and 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 speaking you know like pillow talk yeah. to the wood? I, yeah, closing his I, eyes. I just, oh, I, just such nice yeah, I just yeah, <laughs> I just I just I just I just I I thought you know he's got this fetish and they ought to get the camera away because we don't want to see yeah, this. We don't see that was the my way first. That was, <laughs> I, you know, I, I, I you know I was yeah. thinking that you know some. So some some tender parts of of, of Pierre Polyev would get splinters. Yeah. I mean, I was, you know, a little, but seriously, what, what do, you, do you do? You know what that was I do, about? Actually, um, okay. So if there's one thing, and, and this is my white privilege talking, by the way. Okay. Um, and I used to live out west, and I do understand this mentality because I heard it growing up. I heard it in school. Reclaim that one word, right? That one word is something that a whole bunch of really uneducated white people in different provinces around this country just loved. Reclaim. So he's playing with reclaimed wood. That was his whole thing. Then he brings what, up... For, for, people, for people who are yes. not uh, experts at, at wood. Woodworking? <laughs> what? what? <laughs> the non-woodworking expert? For the non-woodworking yeah. folks... What, what does reclaimed wood actually mean? Well, reclaimed. So he started this video by talking about how much he loved working with reclaimed wood and how he wanted to reclaim Canada for these Canadians. Reclaim it. Uh, and then made mention of the Magna Carta, right? And, and if I'm, I'm just give you a little backstory to the Magna Carta real quick. Reclaiming yeah. your privilege. Reclaiming what's yours. These were all things and little catchphrases that he put in to his wood video prior to doing another video with Jordan Peterson where he said he connects with old Canadians based on, and I quote, plain Anglo-Saxon language. Okay. So now if we go back to the Anglo-Saxons and we take the Magna Carta, which is also mentioned in there, as he's telling you, let's reclaim your privilege. I'm going to take you back to the Magna Carta. Well, the Magna Carta was really started by misinformation. The Stuart Rebellion saying, hey, King John's going to take your shit. So the Lord's all rose up and King John's like, I don't know what you're talking about. Let's just sign this Magna Carta and get on with it. And everybody's like, okay, now we have rights, common law rights. And that entire crowd is now like, there's a lawsuit in British Columbia of this doctor who's using the Magna Carta to sue the province for $66 million because he's a pureblood. Like, all of these things feed into each other. The dog, but this like, stuff, but, they, but this stuff is this stuff is so weird. I mean, yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I'm, I'm glad that you understand it. That I, I'm listen. I'm glad that you understand all these these metaphors. That you know, reclaiming wood is a metaphor for reclaiming whatever yeah. rights your your grandparents had in in the, in this country right. as, as as white folks. I mean, I, but. I mean, the, the the term mass appeal comes up. We always used to use it in, in, in the business, in, in radio and in TV. If, if something isn't mass appeal, forget about it. I mean, that doesn't doesn't he have to have a much broader message than that? I mean, how many, how many people can relate to it the way, 
the way you've just explained it to us, Dean. Not many. Um, that's why they they put keywords in in uh, their language, like um, reclaim your privilege, reclaim what's rightfully yours. They can't come out and say, hey, uh, we hate immigrants too, right? Um, they can't come out and talk about, um, you know, real things because everybody knows where they really stand and they know that this is just rage farming for effect for the bank account that belongs to taxpayers and the bank card that comes with it so they can feed those sweet government contracts to their conservative <laughs> friends. But, and listen, it happens on both sides of the aisle. I mean, you know, we're, we're in this date and this time where I don't, like, I don't know about you, but I don't trust anybody when it comes to my taxpayer dollar. Like, I just don't. And so I just assume that everybody's out to get it. But the way that he's going about it isn't just, just disingenuous. It's fucking mean. You know, okay, but does he does he think that he can convince? Let, let's talk about just white white people who think that uh, they would have better jobs, better opportunities, uh, you know, more affordable housing, you know, cheaper plums, you know, whatever it is that people think yeah. about. Okay, if if you want to blame immigrants for for all of your your, your problems, okay, do, do the are there enough people in this country who think that if Pierre Polyev was the prime minister, mm-hmm. that they would get better jobs? That what, what what's Pierre Polyev supposed to do? Like. Uh, push immigrants out of the country so that white guys can have the jobs that immigrants do. White guys don't even want to do those jobs, and that's maybe the you know we can save that for a different conversation. But what what is what is the expectation of, of say a, a white male? You say old stock, the term that the Harper was using for a while. In other words, someone who's a you know fifth, sixth, tenth, fifteenth mm-hmm. generation Canadian. Are are they expecting to to win some sort of lottery ticket? If Pierre Polyev becomes prime minister and all of a sudden opportunities will flourish for them and, and immigrants uh, will get out of the way of these so-called wonderful jobs, it just, it just, it sounds bizarre uh, to me. It, it does, you know, Isn't I, that what an average I, I always like to think so? I always like to, I always like to think that a, a customer is looking for something and the person who's selling them something, um, you know, can convince them to, to put their money down. Mm. In this case, it's, it's put your ex on the ballot. People actually think that if they put an X on, on, on the CPC ballot, that suddenly um, life will become more affordable and that they'll have better opportunities. Yeah, and I'm not trying to be sarcastic. I'm just honestly asking the question, are there a lot of people who buy that? I believe there are. I mean, I, I haven't seen this kind of vitriol where you've got people who've never met each other um, calling <laughs> calling each other pedophiles over who's... Whose guy they like more, right? I haven't I haven't seen this kind of like stranger danger when it comes to political ideologies, conversations ever. But the one thing that I have seen, I have seen everybody stump for their guy when it comes to who they want to be the next prime minister. Specifically, in this case, just the prime minister, and let's just focus on one guy, Pierre Polyev, and the other guy, Justin Trudeau, is. Uh, apologists for both will say we'll be the most free country in the world if my guy gets in, right? They they keep saying that that that's there's a there's a report I think Frankie Graves put it out uh, one of his things from Ecos, and he's like sixty eight percent of people who support the Conservative Party of Canada the number one issue the number one thing on their agenda is quote freedom. All right, like. Freedom. The next one is like, I don't know, it's like healthcare's third or fourth or something like that. But number one is freedom. Unqualified word 
zero specifics. So what has mm-hmm. happened is that that institution of the Conservative Party of Canada has convinced millions of people that they'll be more free if he gets in. So I'm pretty free, sure okay. they fucking well, once I'm not trying to be argumentative, but free free to do what? Yes, no one knows. That's the I mean, sexiness free, of free, it. Free to put makeup on that, that, that looks like horse manure? <laughs> I mean, what what is it? What? What what is it? Okay, let me let me get to something yeah, yeah, else because yeah. I always feel like I'm not doing my job. I never want I this it. to end. By the way, I'm on the number no, one I, podcast I, I, in Canada. I'm having a I great time. That. I've I had appreciate to prep that. nothing. Yeah. You're carrying all yeah. the mail. I love this. Yeah, but but it, but it's number one according to an organization that's never been successful. <laughs> Apple. <laughs> Apple says we're number oh, well. one. So why it's just it's just Apple. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, here here's the here's the thing. Um, it's an uncomfortable question because I've got to do my quota. Please. This is something I, I, I commit to, and it's the social contract between uh, the audience and yes. me. So here's the uncomfortable question for Dean Blundell. Have your kids forgiven you? For being a dick? Um, I got one right here. I should ask him. The answer is yes, because I live it, right? I live my amends. Um, you know, switching gears, uh, for every parent who knows that they are not a great parent, it doesn't matter how old your kids are. Because I've gone through this with my dad. I've gone through this. Not my mom. She's perfect. My dad, for sure. I've had, we've had serious reparations over the past five years. Uh, and I love him. I love my dad. And I'm grateful for my dad. And my dad has managed to do the very best he can with what he could do. And I, and I am comfortable with that now. Um, my kids have been graceful enough to forgive me for not being present in their life as a young media guy who was so fucking selfish that he didn't give the time and the effort to his kids as he should have. I was not an abusive parent. Never. I think, you know, the way that I carried on, I was never really drunk around my kids. That was me. That was, you know, the thing that I carried around on my own and tried to kind of segment it. But, you know, all the things that come with living a life that is as successful as that was is that something has to sacrifice. And I sacrificed spending time with my kids doing mornings. I never got up with them, you know, at, at, at 3.30 in the morning. Um, and then see them in the morning and see how glorious they could be. Uh, unless I was on vacation. When I was on vacation, I was like, man, I'd rather go back to work because it's way easier, right? So I would say, <clears throat> and, and to not, you know, to, t- to let you into my life, they have lived with me now for many years, just me. Um, and that time that I've had with them has been about living my amends for not being the dad that I wanted them to have. And when you truly, you know this as a father, when you truly love your children, right? Um, You'll do anything for them. And that includes sacrificing your selfishness. And that includes going to get help. That includes going to AA for a good year, year and a half. That includes going to psychotherapy. That includes prostrating yourself on the idea that you didn't have any answers. Your kids already knew. And they're just really secure in the idea that you're okay now. And that you're going to be consistent on a daily basis and you're going to love them on a daily basis. You're not going to beat them up verbally or mentally for mistakes that they make. You're going to walk through this with them. You're going to understand that as a parent, and this is what I know today that I didn't know before, is that having a relationship with your kids is the best way to discipline your kids. Now, my kids are a little older, 23, 19, and 17, and they are all wonderful citizens. They are all loving men. They are all deferential men. 
they are all helpful. They are all happy. They're all hopeful. They have great life philosophies. They know that the business of life is incredible and it comes with tough days that you have to be prepared for. Now, if I didn't have the last five years, if I didn't have the psychotherapy, if I didn't go and get the help that I needed to be the man that I truly felt I wanted to be, none, none of my kids would be here. Um, should, should we just, should, should, do you mind if we fill in a blank yeah. here? Just in the interest of honesty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Isn't it true that an important part of this is an important part of the reason that your three uh, sons are such wonderful, giving human beings and do not appear to be damaged at all is because of the work I did for years <laughs> mentoring them. I mean, let's just put the cards on the table, man. Yeah, they keep telling me, why can't you be more like Adler? Like at five, six years ago, they're like, stop drinking. Be more like Charles. And I'm like, all right, I'll do that today just for you. I'll channel my inner Adler. Um, <laughs> it's another burden, folks, being a role model for the sons of drunk rock jocks. Yeah. Okay. Just yeah. another service. Can't you just be another like service. Chuck, Dad? That's what I heard for years. So here I am doing my best Chuck impersonation. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Dean, on that happy note, uh, <laughs> can't thank you enough for all of the opportunities. Mm. Um, they, they, they would have come to me sooner had the guy with horseshit makeup uh, been prime minister. But because uh, he wasn't the prime minister, I needed someone like you to come along to give me the opportunities not to mention the freedom mm. that I have today. Thank you. For everything. Uh, Charles, listen, uh, my pleasure. And we're going to work together for a long time. We're going to have a lot of fun doing it. Um, and, and I, you know, one of the things that I will say is I think the connective tissue that you and I have intellectually, emotionally, maybe spiritually at this point is this thing called vulnerability. And I would encourage everybody to live that. Um, you know, you, you never really know, depending on who you run into and what you do in this life, you never really know how to connect with people until you're vulnerable with them. And, and not, not, not for the sake of being vulnerable. Like, don't walk around going, I had a shit life. How about you? No, that's not how it works. <laughs> I got beat up in the third grade and it still bothers me. What about you? Yeah, sixth grade. Same with me. Okay, good. We're victims. Um, but, but when you're, when you want to have an honest conversation with somebody who's, and, and we got a ma major angry dude problem in this country. And that's something yeah. I hope we, we, you and I can kind of go a long way to helping solve, um, is talk to people, be vulnerable. It's okay to talk about where you're from and what you've done and, uh, the learning experience that you've lived in this life. And I would encourage everybody just to remember one thing. It is never too late to be a happy person. Never, it's ever, never too late ever. to be happy, and it's never it's never too late to make fun of yourself. So much of this right? anger, we talk about rage farming and all the rest yeah. of it. Uh, so, so much of it is coming from people who just aren't honest enough to say, "Hey, I'm just a human being. Laugh a little bit, share a laugh, and certainly laugh at yourself if you can. If you can do that, so much of the rest is easy. And I'm just going to leave it there because I don't want to become." Pastor Chuck, I don't want to become the person that I make fun of. Dean Blundell, I love you, man. Thank you. Uh, thanks for having me. This is my ultimate pleasure, being able to do your show and do no work. Thank you so much. <laughs> you're, you're very welcome. Now, if you want to make sure yeah. that as many people as possible are enjoying the experience that you're experiencing, yes, simply spread the word, folks. Simply spread the word, and you can get this podcast everywhere that you get your favorite podcast, so please tell your friends. And uh, based on what Apple is telling us, number one in our very, very first week, I do want to thank everyone who has been uh, tuning in, and not just tuning in, but staying with the conversation. You know, there was a world that I, I came from where I was uh, constantly lectured uh, by certain people who called themselves experts, saying, Chuck, most people only get 10 minutes 
I only get 10 minutes if, you know, and people surf the, on radio, surf on television. They only get 10 minutes. So we, we want you to make sure that you can get people for at least 20 minutes. And if you can get them for 20 minutes, we will make you very, very rich. Now, uh, they were very kind to me. As I always say, the audiences were very generous with me when I say that. I'm saying that they would give me not just 20 minutes. Many of them would give me three hours. And that blew the doors off a lot of people who were in the business, who were uh, luring me to different markets to do what I do. I will never be able to figure out quite how it happened, but I can never thank the audience enough. I often say that everything I do is a thank you card to Canada, and I mean that 100%. So thank you, Canada. Thank you. In this case, we're, we're podcasting, so therefore it's online. It's available to the world Thank you to anyone who is listening, and if you want to encourage your friends to be listening as well and viewing, simply get them to any platform where they get their podcasts, and we'll be there for them. Thank you for being here for me and for Dean Blundell and everyone else involved in this particular visit of the Charles Adler Show podcast. Thank you very, very much. Catch Charles Adler Mondays on Real Talk with Ryan Jesperson, twice a week in the Winnipeg Free Press and every day at choirmedia.co.